Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Breast milk science. It's a thing and it's our thing. We're by heart. We're an infant formula company on a mission to get a lot closer to the most super, super food on the planet, breast milk. Our patented protein blend has more of the important and most abundant proteins found in breast milk. We're the first and only U.S.-made formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. We make our formula in our own factories in Iowa, Oregon, and Pennsylvania, using a small batch manufacturing process that works to preserve the integrity of our ingredients. We ran the largest clinical trial by a new infant formula company in 25 years and clinically proved benefits like easier digestion, less gas, and softer poops versus a leading infant formula. We were the first infant formula company to earn the Clean Label Project Purity Award. And while we've put a lot into BiHeart, there's a long list of things you won't see on our ingredient list, like no corn syrup, no maltodextrin, no GMO ingredients, no soy, no palm oil. BiHeart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at BiHeart.com. Namaste, everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Mehra. All right, today's podcast, we're going to be focusing on uh, something that I love, and I know Jared loves a lot, that is Test Match Cricket. And uh, this is Jared's first time on the podcast. So in case you guys don't know who Jared is, Jared is an Australian journalist, if I know correctly. Right now, Jared is based in London. He is a cricket nerd, and and he is uh, one of the most requested if i uh, sports journalists on my podcast so i finally got jared uh, i've received uh, i think uh, more than the great cricketer i think people wanted me to speak to jared so jared welcome probably just my mom asking <laughs> so all right jared let's get started so you recently wrote a substack you should not bat in india and uh, in case people are wondering which the which that substack is i'll just pull it up on the screen too uh, so this is the one you wrote uh, you should not bat in india uh, so uh, i'm going to take it off the screen for now but i wanted you to maybe start with a summary and you can tell us what exactly was was your line of argument over here Oh, I mean, the, the point was, I think a lot of people have, have talked about how Indian pitches are doctored or that they're favoring their bowlers too much. Um, and that is where India's success comes from. And um, what I wanted to basically write was the, the counterpoint to that, which is that India is fantastically good at the moment. Uh, it's a tough area to, uh, era to bat anywhere in the world. Um, and you match that with probably well the, certainly the world's best attack they haven't always been the world's um uh, best attack in every single game new zealand certainly and australia have certainly had some good attacks over that time but uh when you factor in the fact that they can have five frontline bowlers and um and when their best bowlers are fit their fast bowlers are fit they're probably by far and away the best attack in the world you've got this situation where you're going to india to play a reasonably good batting lineup, not as good as maybe some of the, the great batting lineups that India have had before, but a reasonably good batting lineup, but five frontline bowlers who are all fit for purpose for that location um, in an era when no one's making runs anywhere in the world. And a lot of little things have changed in cricket to make it a lot harder for batters over the last couple of years. Uh, so uh, good luck going to play the best team in the world uh, when, when you get to India. So something that stood out to me in your Substack, and and I think you did a video on it also on your YouTube channel, but I read your Substack first. So not only are Indian bowlers the best in India, so what you showed was they are the best when they go outside India too. So they pretty much dominate everywhere in the world today. And uh, one should not be surprised considering 
I know we lost uh, 2-1 in South Africa, but uh, I think the Indian bowlers did not do all that badly in South Africa this time or the the uh, the tour before that where, I don't know if you remember, there was a huge controversy where the South Africans were like, we need to abandon this match. This is a bad pitch. And Indians were like, no, we'll play. We don't care. We'll play. You just roll it over. We're willing to play. And that was actually to me for the first time, that specific moment where... Indians had this image that they can't play fast bowling. And it was by and large justified, to be very honest, uh, until the the Tendulkar, the big four, Sehwag being the fifth uh, era really came in. Indians were, Gavaskar was always the exception to the norm. Gavaskar, Gundapa, Vishwanath, Omohindra, Manath, there was some here and there. There was a smattering of players. Mm. But overall, there was this image. India goes outside. They suck. They are very good at home. But then this era came in, Sachin and many others started batting. But to me, that South Africa series, not this tour, the one before that, where the home team was complaining about their own pitch and the visiting team that is known to be like, okay, you know, they they suck at batting. And they're like, no, no, we want to play whatever. And, and I think India ended up winning that match eventually on that particular pitch i forgot the name of the ground so so i apologize to everyone for that i don't remember the name of the ground but to me that was a tipping point and and as a cricket fan i was like we're not used to this as indian cricket fans where our team goes and says no 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 hang on good it's a fast bowling pitch good we're going to go and do our job so where do you think this change has come from an outside perspective look we i, I could be biased because i'm an indian cricket supporter i'm i'm in i i say i have maybe an insider's perspective but i would love to hear your perspective where do you see the change coming in yeah i think uh i mean if you talk about fast bowling specifically you've got to remember that india had one fast bowler in the first part of their cricket, which is a guy called Muhammad Nissa, who all reports say he was pretty quick. He maybe wasn't quite as quick as Larwood, but he was, you know, in that Larwood area. And he didn't even play that many games. And we know that they then had uh, guys like Maiden Lal, who, you know, are basically club cricket pace, right? Like, you wouldn't even say medium fast. They were probably medium paces. And these were the quickest bowlers in India. And the conditions didn't allow for it. Uh, they weren't traveling overseas as much in those days. So these days, fast bowling is pushed because you know you need it. Whereas back in those days, it wasn't. we weren't thinking about cricket from that sort of professional vantage point. So there's a lot of talking. I think it's in the 1950s when they go to England and they face, um, I think it might be um, uh, Typhoon Tyson. Um, uh, it might be a Truman as well, you know, diff different bowlers that absolutely torment them and they back away. Their top order players back away like Taylor Lenders. Well, of course they do. They hadn't seen it, like, right? And so it takes generations to get to that point. Kapil Dev, and, you know, Jabagal Shrinath, you know, those are both fast medium bowlers, right? And and occasionally there was someone, you know, the, the mythical Indian fast bowlers. Uh, you know, you're, you look like you're of an age to remember, oh, this guy, you got to wait. This is going to be the guy. And then he comes through and he bowls at like 82 miles an hour. We're all like, what? This guy? That kept happening in Indian cricket, right? That's not the case anymore. Um, you know, I don't know how many of your of your um, followers will know this, but the, the myth of Indian cricket was always that Pakistan is bowled quick because they ate meat. And Indians couldn't bowl quick because they didn't eat meat, which is hilarious because Ishan, Ishan Sharma was a vegetarian and at, as a teenager was bowling 90 miles an hour. And that 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 people were still saying things like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that from that perspective, uh, you know, India just had to get used to it. it it's also it's, it's very interesting if you look at the history of Australian cricket as well. Australian cricket was brilliant at playing spin bowling for a very long time. But that was when Australian conditions helped spinners. Right, Australia had the best spinners in the world for a, a good period of time. Then they had about a 40-year period where they didn't have any spin bowlers before Shane Warne. Um, and all their players struggled against play, you know, playing spin. It is a completely conditions-driven sport. I always say my favorite thing is, if you watch left-arm finger spinners, watch a left-arm finger spinner from England or Zimbabwe, then watch a left-arm finger spinner from Sri Lanka or India. They're both called left-arm finger spinners, but they're two completely different genres because you cannot bowl the same way in those different conditions. And so it, it, it's taken India a long time to get to the point where they have batters who are comfortable against, you know, fast bowling. And the, that previous generation that you were talking about, that, you know, the five great players, you know, even in that, it was, I think it was quite well known that Ganguly didn't like fast bowling and didn't like particularly short pitch bowling, right? And even Raul Dravid, who was a very good player of fast bowling, 
I had a look recently. I think he averaged 75 against spin bowling, which tells you the, what his preference was for, right? He made the majority of his runs against spin. And yet he was still a great player. I think what you're seeing now is that, you know, you look at the IPL and there there is a host of bowlers bowling 85 miles an hour plus. And anywhere you go in Indian cricket now, you know, I remember going to a, a net session, you know, seven or eight years ago, you know, um, I must've been in Kerala or someone like that. In fact, I was watching Shreesant um, try and make a comeback. Um, and, and you just noticed that, you know, there were, it, it wasn't that different than being in a net session in Australia or New Zealand or South Africa. You know, there was big athletic guys coming in, hitting the pitch hard. And so cricket has changed and, you know, India getting to that point, we, we know that that comes from, your pitches, but we also know that comes from the players being encouraged and, you know, the Dennis Lilly pace factory and, you know, the MRF sponsored and all those sorts of things. They've all had a huge impact on India changing as a cricket nation. And then on top of that, the IPL specifically, but even professionalism of, of cricket, even before the IPL has meant that it's not just a game for, you know, certain casts anymore, right? You, you know, you, anyone who has cricket talent now has the ability to make a profession of it. They might still have, like all class systems in the world, you're still going to have a problem, you know, getting to the top when the other kid down the road has a professional coach when he's 12 and you're still borrowing cricket bats. But you now have the ability, which means that there's probably an influx. And the one thing I would say is if you look at any cricket culture in the world, when you have an influx of people who aren't from the elite um, part of society playing cricket, they generally end up being fast bowlers. And if you have a look at um, South African black bowlers, if you have a look at the working class bowlers from the north of England, same in Australia, the same as the street bowlers from Pakistan, they all come from impoverished backgrounds compared to the batters. The reason for that is it's generally where the better athletes are, right? And the people who will stretch their body. I remember Alex Tudor, the England fast bowler, saying to me once, we were talking about fast bowling, and he coaches a bunch of kids, and they all want to be Alex Tudor, right? They want to come in and bowl 90 miles an hour and look cool doing it. And Alex Tudor's like, great. Just so you know, you're going to be in pain for the next 20 years. Every day you wake up, you're going to be in pain. Every time you bowl, you're going to be in pain. I think we know from, uh, you know, without being too, you know, biased against certain classes, there's a reason why the uh, the best bowlers came from the mines in England, right? There's a, a reason why the best bowlers come from the, the rough country districts in the outer suburbs of, of, you know, Melbourne and Sydney and Adelaide and these sorts of places. And again, why, you know, the, the, the young black kids desperate to make it as a profession get thrown into fast bowling as great young athletes as well. All these things matter. India has managed to open that up in a way that even their batters now have the ability to go into the nets and face someone who can bowl at 85, 90, even 95 miles an hour like Umran Malik. Um, all these kinds of things, we didn't, it didn't happen before. And it's taken a long time. And cricket does take a long time to develop. And then, as we can see with someone like Australia, it can then undevelop. England and Australia both have a great history of producing spinners and playing spin bowling. And then their pitches kept changing to the point where they just bowled seam all the time and everyone forgot their skills. Yeah, I think uh, that's that's actually pretty much accurate about the history in India. I, at first, like I'm from Mumbai. Mumbai used to dominate cricket. I mean, they, they still have the highest number of Ranji Trophy wins. I mean, it's not a surprise. Mm -hmm. uh, earlier on, the Indian cricket team used to be either the Karnataka State Association or the Mumbai uh, Mumbai cricket team. Basically, if you can add a, a smattering of uh, Karnataka, Mumbai dominates, then you can add a little bit of Hyderabad here and there, Chennai here and there. And you have, you know, in India, we call them the metro cities. And if you add the metro cities, that's your cricketing side. But now it's changed. I think Mahinder Singh Dhoni's entry into Indian cricket, Mahinder Singh Dhoni comes all the way from Ranchi. And, you know, it's a, it's it's not your metro city. It's a tier one, tier two city. And and cricket has changed in India. Cricket scouting has changed in India. If you, if you look at John Wright, who scouts for the Mumbai Indians, I mean, if you speak with him, John Wright will be very categorical that, you know, he's not going around just Mumbai to scout for the Mumbai Indians. Mm. I mean, if an IPL franchise is sending you to remote areas to scout and find the next big thing, then you know something's happening. And, and the biggest uh, thing that people don't notice is how much, and this comes right from the board to the players, to the youngsters. Uh, everybody knows the policy in BCCI is you can't play IPL if you don't play red ball cricket. They, they, you have to play red ball cricket. If you don't play red ball cricket, they create roadblocks for you to play IPL. They somehow make it a point. Then you look at Virat Kohli. Virat was very open that test match cricket is the only real format. 
recently uh, there was a documentary i mentioned this previously on the podcast too even a guy like mohammed siraj i don't think siraj is more than 23 years old but even if a guy like siraj in an interview says that for me the pinnacle of my life is bowling with the red ball that shows the mindset of an average young kid who's joining the team and siraj comes from a very humble background now imagine if this this young guy who's bowling for india is saying that oh yeah ipl is good yeah white ball cricket is good but in his brain the ultimate thing is still red ball cricket well that team is obviously going to do well and they don't ignore red ball cricket for for white ball cricket for some odd reason i don't know why australia doesn't seem to transfer its success in red ball cricket to the t20 format as if australia has a pathological hatred for it i i don't know why i mean you might say they won a world cup but still if you look at their overall record in t20 cricket it's it's not something that sets the house on fire but in india yes there is a culture but but why do indian pitches get discuss so much is something that i wanted to know your views on um, okay i'm going to stop you right there because sri lankan pitches get discussed a lot too england pitches yeah, they get do. discussed a lot indians always focus on that trust me as someone who covers every team every time an asian team turns up to england everyone's like oh they've done the green pitches on us again yeah it's england mate it rains a lot over here they get green pitches a lot oh look at new zealand this pitch is bright green well new zealand just made 600 on it right It's everywhere. That's just a normal thing. So I don't think Indian pitches get any more um, talk than anywhere else. What I would say is that India were more successful, so the pitches get mentioned more. And the second thing I would say is that there is a difference between pitches that spin a lot and pitches that uh, that help fast bowlers. And the main difference is that generally, when a pitch spins a lot from day one, it doesn't spin less on day four or day five, right? Whereas green tops are, can be completely different. A green top might assist a seam bowlers for two days, and then the last couple of days it completely evens out and doesn't help anyone. Doesn't even help the spinners, right? It just flat and helps batters. The, so there is a, a part of that, and the other part when it comes to Western pitches, and I suppose you're more talking New Zealand, um, England, and a little bit of South Africa here. Um, those sorts of pitches, quite often, it's not the pitch that does you in; it's the conditions in the air. Right, and the fact that the ball continues to swing or seam, um, you know, sorry, swing, I should say, seam is something different, right? Again, spinning pitches aren't like that. The ball is either spinning or it's not spinning, right? And so because of that, they get a lot of attention. But I would say that the UAE pitches got a lot of attention. I'd say certainly that Sri Lankan pitches. I, I mean, Sri Lanka has the highest percentage of spin in the world. It's higher than India's. Um, and for a little while, Zimbabwe had a higher percentage than um, India. It's just that they didn't play a lot of tests there, and no one watches Zimbabwe. Although now they've got good again, people will probably start watching them again. But um, for a little while, no one noticed that it was spinning in Zimbabwe. But then you have to factor in that when you go to Sri Lanka, you're going up against a pretty ordinary, you know, bowling attack. They've got a couple of, you know, uh, good young bowlers coming through, and we're hope- hopeful that they're in a bit of a renaissance for their cricket after, you know, a bad few years, especially after uh, Rangana Haras sort of stepped down. But they don't have a great bowling attack and so when you go there even if it spins sideways if you take your nathan lyons or uh your jack leeches or even don best took wickets in in sri lanka right because he's going up against sri lankan batters and then they don't have a great bowler when you go to india even having slightly less spin you're going up against i mean akshar patel may be the third best spinner in the world and also the third best spinner in india right that is a, a huge possibility right that 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 is a hundred percent true statement and that's how ridiculous india's spin bowling stocks are and then on the other side you have chiteshwar pajara who up until the last couple of years was probably one of the greatest players of spin that has ever existed in cricket uh rohit sharma who's a beautiful batter in, in um, certainly in indian conditions pretty good batter outside of india as well but a beautiful batter in indian conditions um and then you've got uh, and then you've got jadeja and ashwin down at number seven number eight even akshar now down at number nine It means it takes a long way to get through them. Why people have overreacted is because India aren't losing, right? If India were losing, it's not a big deal. Um, and and the the main narrative of cricket, to go back to the historical context again, you have to understand that the main narrative of cricket basically comes from two nations. It comes from England and it comes from Australia. The nation who invented it and the nation who perfected it. Right. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Australia dominated cricket for so long and we're so loud and obnoxious. You can't you have to listen to us. I mean, you literally on Indian TV at the moment have Matt Hayden commentating, despite the fact that he can barely speak English. Right. 
what what a ridiculous situation that it is that Matt Hayden is paid to speak words when almost three of them make sense an hour, right? It makes no sense what he's saying in commentary. But a, that, that shows you how big an impact Australian cricket has had that you can literally just bring someone in to be able to do that. And English cricket is the other side of it. England pitches, uh, here's a fun fact for you. There's a pitch in Somerset um, at Taunton that they call Sidrabat, right? Because it spins a lot. I had a look at the percentage of spin bowled in Sidrabat, and it was the, it had the 50th highest percentage of spin bowling bowled in the world. So there were 49 other pitches in the world where spin was used more than Sidrabat, right? And the next pitch after Sidrabat was like ranked 85th for the, the highest percentage of spin. I think that was Old Trafford. So when English people specifically, they don't understand Asian conditions because their cricket is so absolutely alien compared to that. You know, in England, a spinner's job is one over before lunch and then bowling on day four, right? That's very different than, you know, Matt Kuhneman opening the bowler bowling in Asia. And they don't twist their brains around for that. So there, there's a lot of um, historical reasons for this. There's a lot of cricket reasons for this. But the, the, very, the basic one is if India wasn't any good, it wouldn't matter because no one's, you know, even when people moan about, and Australia moaned about Sri Lankan pitches, they all, and, and they also specifically moaned about the fact that Sri Lanka gave them green tops to warm up on. And then when they got out for the pitch, it was brown, but it didn't matter because Australia still played decent cricket there. Right. And the other thing is that everyone in India is so obsessed with India. They're not even noticing that Australia's already moaned about Sri Lanka. Right. <laughs> they're completely ambivalent to that fact because that doesn't involve India. Right. But trust me, if you read the articles about Australia turning up um, Fox Sports, every article Fox Sports wrote about Australia turning up in India mentioned the Sri Lankan pitches. <laughs> right. That shows you um, that it actually happens everywhere. And the big difference is that when you go to Sri Lanka, you moan about the pitches, then you get on with it. Right. You go to England, you moan about the pitches and then you get on with it. You go to India, you moan about the pitches, and then you lose. So you moan about the pitches more, <laughs> and then you lose again. Yeah, that that uh, I could say that, but don't I, I? You know, I wanted you to. I don't know if you have factored in this too. In India, uh, DRS was introduced, I think, in a full on a full time basis in the year two thousand and sixteen. Now, from whatever little I understand, I don't claim to be a cricketing expert, but from a purely batting perspective, I think post DRS, you would have a much higher impact on how you bat against spin. Then how you bat against, let's say, fast bowling. I'm not saying the 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 percentile impact on on batting techniques against fast bowling in India would not be there, but there are certain wickets that maybe or shots that you may not be able to play because in the previous uh, era you would not get you know leg before wicket. Now you can because the team would go, and and I sincerely feel. Look, there are a few players who were before 2016 and after 2016. Pujara is there. Mm. Uh, you have Kohli. You have many others. And I have seen their own batting technique change. They they would play certain shots before. They don't play. I'm talking about in the aggregate numbers. If somebody was to look at the aggregate numbers, it's quite clear that DRS has an, had an, dis, you know disproportionately high impact. Now, do you think eventually... And otherwise, who would explain why are Indian batsmen the same batsmen failing on Indian pitches too? Mm, no, no, I mean you're right. So the interesting, I just want to go back to the DRS thing because this is what angers me about cricket writing, right? And cricket media. DRS is probably the biggest change we've had to cricket since covered wickets, right? So we've had about we've had four major changes. We went from underarm to overarm bowling, which if that didn't happen, you and I wouldn't be doing this podcast because no one would care about cricket. The second one is we went from um, manure to liquid manure, which basically took it from a bowler's game to a batter's game because beforehand, all you needed to do was hit the pitch and chances are you're going to you know, hit a chunk of cow crap and the ball is going to fly off in any direction, right? Which is why when you look at WG Grace's record, you're like, he averaged in the 30s. And it's like, he averaged in the 30s when 18 was a good batting average, right? He was incredible. So that's the second movement. The third movement is going from uncovered to covered pitches, which which actually hardened up the surfaces all around the world as much as anything. And it also took away every third or fourth test where it was almost impossible to bat 
right? You know, suddenly, for, for those who don't know, an uncovered wicket, what would happen is it wasn't that it got wet that was a problem because you can kind of bat on a wet wicket a little bit. It's when it starts to dry. When it starts to get a little bit hard, the ball just goes vertical. Um, and, you know, it, you know, Bradman, for instance, couldn't bat on them. And there are some famous batters like Victor Trumper who actually were masters of them, but most people were sensible and couldn't play on them, especially pre-helmet. Uh, so covered wickets coming in makes a big change. But I would say that DRS had a bigger change than covered wickets. The reason is that essentially beforehand, um, what was happening is seamers were getting LBW decisions that they did not deserve, especially in Australia. But I would say this was all around the world. Seamers would hit the pads, um, on, you know, hit above the knee roll and just get LBWs over and over and over again. With, with a brand new ball at the Wacker, you could hit above the knee roll and still get an LBW. There are some hilarious LBW. I remember, I mean, there, I would say that Australian umpires were were biased um, against the opposition. But I remember Ricky Ponting, I think he made 96 against Sri Lanka, was hit on the top of the knee roll at the Wacker and was given out LBW. The ball was probably going two foot over the stumps, right? Um, in fact, if you wanted the, the best one to have a look at, if you're a real cricket nerd, is to go back and have a look at a clip of Bruce Reed bowling. Bruce Reed was our first tall, he was sort of was a Macram before was a Macram, a tall left arm bowler, Marco Janssen before there was a Marco Janssen. But, geez, when you have a look at his LBs, I would say 70% of them pitched outside leg stump and the other 30% were going over the top. Unplayable though he was. What DRS does is, uh, and, and the other side of it was spinners. All you had to do to merely warn Okumble was get two and a half foot down the wicket and the umpire said not out every time, right? which tells you how brilliant those bowlers were to be able to still take wickets. Um, and also it explains why some of the old spinners had such good economy rates because no one was ever playing a shot to them because they were just coming down the wicket with their pads. But when you, when you get to DRS, a bunch of different things happen. The 2016 thing you talk about is really interesting, but I will say this, you see the difference from 20, 2003 onwards, right? Because the umpires start to self-correct because an umpire is umpiring a game and they come off and they see the highlights and they're like, oh, I got that wrong. The first thing we learn about really is the tram lines. Right beforehand, everything was going. And if it didn't hit you in front of off stump, it was missing leg. Every umpire sliding down, Sli every ball was sliding down. Right, that's the first thing that was corrected by the umpires. The second thing that was corrected was seam bowlers getting LBWs when people would would leave the ball with their pads. You would literally hear umpires say things like "should have used a bat." It was a judgment call. It was like they were judging the batter for not playing a shot. And most of those balls were not hitting the stumps. They weren't even going close to the stumps, as we now know. It's very rare that a batter goes out leaving the ball um, um, and, and are hitting their pads anymore, right? And the reason for that is umpires don't give them anymore because that was the biggest mistake they made in, in the first Hawkeye era. And the third thing is that we start seeing that Shane Warne and Murali and Kumbleg do not bounce the ball above the stumps very often. And if it hits you below the knee roll, even if you're a long way forward, chances are that ball is going to be hitting the stumps. So the self-correction starts there. And I think one of them, if you're talking about seam bowlers, I'd say one of the more interesting um, batters um, is Shane Watson. He has a technique that is perfect for pre-DRS batting. And unfortunately for him, halfway through his career, cricket changes. And this big front step of tall guys basically did this for generations. They take a big front step down. They play their shot. If the ball hit their pad, they were either outside the line or the umpire would say, you're too far down or that's probably going down leg. Suddenly with Shea Botson, Paul, Paul Watto, everything was out, right? And that was the first time you saw seam bowlers really change. And after that, you get Ryan Harris, Vernon Philander, um, the England bowlers all start pitching it up more. And why do they do that? Because all their LBWs are given, get given not out. We see in, in the spate of three years, Ishan Sharma move a meter fuller with his length. Crickfish have the data. Every year he goes 20 centimeters fuller until eventually Ishan Sharma starts taking wickets. And the difference is before all of his balls were bouncing over the stumps, now all of his balls are hitting the top of the stumps. With spin, what we see is that the pad is no longer a line of defense. And that's a huge change in the way you play spin bowling. And that I think with spin, the LBW start happening early on, but the actual change of the technique does take a long time. And as you say, it's you know it's probably 2012 around the rest of the world, but maybe 2016 in Asia where you see a big jump in the, in the people have to change the way they play spin. We see Kevin Peterson have to contact Rahul Dravid because he now no longer knows what to do to play spinners anymore. Steve Smith goes through a period where spinning the ball away from him causes big problems. Other people then also, most mostly it becomes a bigger problem to face the ball spinning away from you. You can see it in Murali's numbers before. 
after DRS and before DRS, Murali's numbers against left eye handers are completely different. All right, so that ability to spin the ball away suddenly becomes a big problem when you can't use your pad. Um, and it does fundamentally change the way that the game is played and the, the way that spin is played. What I would say is, for all the talk about how it's helped spinners more, and it, and it kind of has, um, it, it's actually the seam bowlers bowling fuller that probably led to the fact that global batting averages have dropped so much. Because seam bowlers are now so much more attacking. And the, the West Indies slash Glenn McGrath method of going back of a length is very good at controlling the strike rate. And if you have world-class bowlers, you'll eventually get batters out. Do you know what's much better? is pitching it between five and seven meters and allowing every ball to move one way or another and then say to the batter, you now no longer have time to react. If you remember, you know, ever watching people face, you know, Kurtley Ambrose or, or Glenn McGrath, there's a lot of players who would play it and then as they saw the ball move, drop their bat away. You yeah. can't do that if it's pitched on the six meter mark, right? So those things are changing. And just my last funny thing about DRS coming last to India, it's absolutely hilarious that it was the last place to come being that, the Indian spinners would have absolutely torn people up earlier had they had the chance to bowl with more DRS. And the, the reason it didn't happen is basically because the Indian batters didn't trust the the, the science behind it. And they, Sachin. Yeah, it was Sachin, but I don't think it was just Sachin, to be fair. I mean, he gets, I think he gets more bad credit because he's the famous one, but I think there was a general consensus amongst them that they would have to change the way they played. And they're right. But as we now know, even if they'd all averaged 10 runs less, their bowlers would have taken 20 runs off everyone else's average and it wouldn't have mattered. So it's a, it's a funny thing. But it has completely changed the way we bowl. We used to bowl back of a length seam bowling outside off stump. Now we bowl at the top of off stump almost every delivery. Uh, now bowlers around the world, almost everyone is a seam bowler now, whereas we still had swing bowlers even 10 and 15 years ago. The idea now is that you want to be a seam bowler, give the batter no chance to make uh, to make any adjustments and consistently be moving the ball sideways. And with spinners, we see spinners all around the world. How many spinners do you know now whose main form of attack is bowling just outside off stump, right? The only ones left doing it are the Australian and English off spinners and, and New Zealand yeah. off spinners where it makes a little bit more sense because of the drift. Almost every spinner in the world now keeps the stumps in play every single delivery. And if you go back and watch old cricket, that wasn't that wasn't the, the, the case. You would League spinners would sometimes try and get people caught at slip and second slip and all this sort of stuff. Now it's like, we'll try and get you caught. We'll be happy if we get a bat pad, but essentially we're trying to get your boulder LBW almost every delivery. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on prize picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, I think cricket has moved from maybe slightly outside the off stump line of attack to pretty much wicket to wicket mm. uh, line of attack. The bowling has changed and which is why I guess um, Kumble in a DRS era would have been oh, in India. He would have been way more lethal than any of these guys because that's pretty much Kumble's line of attack even when he was playing then. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he'd be more lethal because the, the, other, the other interesting thing is that Murali and Warren do get and even Kumble do actually get a bump right? But because they had been trained before, they're still not... So I think that Jadeja is probably our first DRS bowler, right? True. Where he he basically... And it's not... I'm not saying it's like he's smarter than anyone else, but it's the way that cricket develops, right? In the same way that... So I'll, t I'll tell you the Ryan Harris story because it's really interesting when you go to Kumble. Ryan Harris is one of the best bowlers I've ever seen play for Australia. But when he was 27, he couldn't get in South Australia's team. And the reason he couldn't get in South Australia's team is because he bowled very, very full, right? And they said that he bowled at club cricket length and not a test match length, right? 
by the time he gets in the Australian team, he completely revolutionizes cricket and a bunch of them do. And they all pit, start pitching it up and they all start taking wickets and everyone copies Harris and Flander and everyone else. Right. Um, you know, Muhammad Asif is probably another one who had that sort of similar length as well. And when you look at someone like Jadeja, he, because of his batting, he was probably already going to be in the team already. And there's nothing he has to change about his bowling because his bowling, he would have bowled that way whether DRS was there or not. Right. And I do think that with Kumble and Murali and Warren, I think they all would have been slightly different ball. And you could argue better, which I'm more than happy to, to go ahead with and say that they were better. I, I mean, outside of Ashwin and Jadeja, you would still say that the three best spin bowlers, uh, the, the best spin bowlers of the previous generation were better than the, the spin bowlers of this generation. And yet the numbers are pretty similar. So we know that there's a lot of more average spinners, you know, people like Graham Swan and Rangana Harath, who are really, really good, but their numbers probably look incredible because of the era that they bowled in. Um, and that they still had to get the wickets and they still had to adapt to that. And both of them did adapt very well. Um, but but you certainly you certainly get that thing. But what what is interesting about uh Warren and Kumble and Murali is that they would have all they were all helped by DRS towards the end of their career, but they were also more rounded bowlers because they had to bowl in other kinds of conditions. Whereas I wonder if the modern spinners now can only bowl in kind of one or two different kind of styles and they don't have the ability to change it up and, and do multiple different things. Ashwin aside, Ashwin is really yeah. the, the, the one spinner who can bowl everywhere. Even if you look at someone like Nathan Lyon, as good as he is as, as a spinner outside of Asia, inside of Asia, he's kind of blah, right? Whereas if you look at the sort of Murali, Kumble and Warren, because they didn't have that other advantage, they basically had to come up with different methods in different places all the time and they're slightly more rounded. So I think you're right. But I also think having, because they were so talented, they actually had the ability to grow um, in a way that maybe modern spinners don't. And modern spinners are like, like you look at Jack Leach sometimes, you know, it's like, he's just going to bowl at the stumps or at the footmarks. That's the only two things he's going to do here. He's going to do one or the other. He's not going to try anything else for the next five hours. Um, whereas I think the spinners that we, you know, Bishop Beatty would never have done that. He would have tried different things, you know. Um, and that's because the previous spinners had to try more. So I think in some ways the DRS era has made spinners more efficient, but probably made them a little bit more one-dimensional than they were in in the in the great, great old days. Yeah, I think with a bowler like Shane Vaughan, uh, because he I think after his shoulder injury. One, he pretty much lost the flipper. He barely would bowl the flipper, but uh, he developed the front of the ha uh, yeah. handball, the slider. I think in a DRS, Warney would have bowled more sliders straight towards the stump. Warney would have gotten maybe more LBWs. And considering the man was a genius, I mean, I am a hardcore Shane Wan fan, so I, I can see nothing wrong in Shane Wan. I am completely biased in my love for Shane Wan. So anybody who says anything. <laughs> doesn't matter. It's like that. In my case, my brain, Vonnie can't do anything wrong. But I think a, a bowler like Vonnie would have bowled that front of the hand slider a lot more. Not so much the flipper, but that would have gotten him a lot more wickets. Well, the slider, I, the slider comes about before DRS. But if you yeah. have a look at how much he bowls it after, um, sorry, not DRS, the slider comes about before Hawkeye that he starts bowling. Mm -hmm. But if you do look at him after 2003, the slider is his main delivery. So yeah. he did do that. Do you know what I mean? So that's what I mean. Him and Kumble and Murali actually do get the benefit of that because the umpires start changing the way they've made the decision. The, the, the huge benefit that Akshar Patel gets, no, Warren and Kumble and Murali weren't going to get those sorts of LBWs just because, you know, they didn't have DRS available to them. But the very basic thing is at the back half of Warren's career specifically and Kumble's career, when if they pitched the ball on middle and leg and it straightened um, and the batter was a long way down the crease, they were going to get it an LBW eventually. They might not get it the first time they appealed for it, but they were going to get it. That was, so they did get that thing. And, and that shows you just how much, and if you played club cricket over the years, you realize that LBWs are different in club cricket. Right, mm -hmm. the line that people bowl in club cricket. When I grew up, everyone bowled a mile outside of stump. Mostly outswingers, just outswinger, outswinger, outside of stump. You play club cricket now; almost every ball is is angled in at the stumps, right? And so it has changed. And, and we don't have any DRS in club cricket, right? Oh, that's so interesting. It's changed everywhere because umpires in club cricket now understand what is hitting the stumps and what is not hitting the stumps because they have been trained by years and years of watching Hawkeye. So that's what what I'm saying is with with Murali and 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 Kumble and Warren is they don't get the the addition of DRS, but they 
all automatically, if you look at the start of his career, anytime someone came down the wicket to warn and he hit their pad, it was automatically not out. By the end of his career, he's getting LBWs to the exact same deliveries. So the change in cricket comes from the technology more than the actual DRS itself. By the way, just to let you know, I think this year's Ranji Trophy final, the, the BCCI and the Indian Cricket Association, they decided to use the DRS for the finals in the Ranji Trophy. Yeah, in the well, Indian I think... Domestic. Not only that, they're thinking of using it for all games. Um, yeah. And the thing is, the actual DRS, this, this, is, this is a bit of a weird point, but the actual DRS doesn't matter, right? Because as I said, umpires are already moving on. You will get f- fewer mistakes, and that's great. And, and I think professional athletes should get access to it. But if Indian cricket does that, the big advantage will be that they will have ball tracking on every single bowler in their database, uh, and they'll have access to all the batters facing all those bowling, which will mean that we will finally know who the best cricketers are against high pace and who the best cricketers are when the ball is spinning and who the best cricketers are when the ball is is keeping low. And what this bowler does that doesn't look particularly good but is particularly good. So from that perspective, um, uh, it's it's a huge, huge advantage um, going ahead. Uh, if they do that and they will couch it in terms of oh we want better decisions in in Ranger no no one cares if you get better decisions in Ranger Trophy it's just they don't but the important thing for Indian cricket is the information that they'll be able to glean from that I think it's very important for Indian cricket to get DRS in the domestic circuit from my point of view for two reasons one we would actually finally get a sample size in the next five years about what happens to Indian domestic batting after DRS is introduced at the domestic level. Because again, batting techniques will get affected the moment DRS gets applied in every single Ranji game. For example, what whatever has happened in the international arena, the trickle-down effect will happen. Secondly, because of that, if the domestic players start adjusting their techniques when they come to the international arena, I think they'll be far more prepared because if they play without DRS and then they come in a system with DRS, I think their technique could be exposed, which is people are not realizing uh, that Indian, if Indians are struggling against spin in Indian pitches, there's a cause for concern. Mm. I, to be honest, I know what you're saying. And there is a slight tweak, but modern players, watch them when they come through. They've already, that, that change that you're talking about has already happened. Because you can't play spin bowling the way you did seven years ago in first-class cricket anymore because the umpires have been watching TV for the last 20 years, right? They're just going to give you out. So that, there's no – I watch first-class cricket. I watch Ranji Trophy. I watch Shield cricket. Um, I watch County cricket. You know, I watch the, some of the you know, the West Indian stuff when it's, it's shown. No one plays like they did 10 years ago. DR, it doesn't matter if you have DRS or not because if you if you take a big forward step and you get hit on the pad from a spinner now, an umpire doesn't need DRS to give you out. They just know that that ball is not going to bounce over the stumps and they're willing to take that risk. And um, they have most of the umpires have self corrected already. Um, and so the players, once the umpires self correct, the players self correct. Plus, the other thing we were talking about before, the lengths and the lines have all changed. So even that style of playing before. But, but I mean, there's, there's advantages to having DRS, I think, because there are probably. It, it, I. I Having talked to players who've played in DRS and out of DRS, it does actually help you as a batter and a bowler sort of focus exactly what you should be doing more correctly. So from that perspective, I don't think there's any uh, particular problem with it um, uh, on on that sense. So um, there's only advantages for bringing it in would be my, would be my basic point. Um, but the more information that you learn about your players, the better. Yeah. Now I wanted to ask you this question. Okay, I get the lengths have increased, but when we look at the numbers, the drop in batting averages, I'm just talking about batting averages in their own country. It doesn't matter if their own batsmen are batting or the other country's batsmen are batting. When you have drops like five and six, that's an insane drop in the last Mm -hmm. five to seven years. And fast bowling averages, I was reading an article uh, on ESPN Crick Info. Uh, I think the year was 2021 and... um, I do want to name the author. I've completely blanked out with the name of the author here. But uh, the fast bowling averages have improved by 2, 2.5, 3 in some. Yeah, I think it was Himanish Ganju who had written that article in 2021 in Crick Info about what has happened to Test Match batting. And I was just blown away with fast bowling averages now. Like, so I was just thinking out loud, how do we compare bowlers then, era by era? Like, are these guys better? No. And I'll tell you why we know they're not better. 
It's because we have Saranga Lakmal and Nishant Sharma, right? So we can literally see their careers change. Saranga Lakmal was probably on his way to being the worst seamer in the history of Test cricket. Right? I mean, I love him. And he's a skillful bowler, but he could never take any wickets, right? And then suddenly, in 2017, he starts taking wickets out of his ass. And then for the rest of his career, he takes wickets. So it's not an accident these things happen, right? And so, yes, we had a good crop of bowlers, but the, the generation before that still had Jimmy Anderson, still had Dale Stane, still had Mitchell Johnson. You know, there weren't bad bowlers beforehand. Tim Southey's another one. Tim Southey's record gets a lot better. Uh, Jimmy Anderson's record gets a lot better. So when you see all these different bowlers around the world get better at the same time, it's not the bowlers, is it? It has to be um, something to do with the conditions. And at, my first thought was that a bunch of uh, ICC CEO, uh, sorry, a bunch of cricket um, um, CEOs who got together at the ICC and said, this is a bit boring. And it had been boring for 15 years, right? The pitches had got terrible. Some of the, uh, some of the years, the batting averages in those years are obscene, right? And if you have a look at the players with the best batting average in the history of the game, have a look how many of them started their career around the year 2000 and finished their career by the year 2015, right? Because they basically batted in the happy times. And a similar thing happens between 1925 and 1940, right? Uh, which is a very similar kind of era where you're just like, oh, Bradman averaged 100. Yeah, but Headley also averaged over 60, and there's Sutcliffe averaged over 60. It's a couple of guys in high 50s. And then you have a look at this era, and you had, you know, um, uh, you know Steve Smith, uh, Sangakara, Callis, all these uh, – Ponting, all these guys with obscenely high averages for long periods of time. What? So what I thought had happened is that everyone had got sick of this. They'd all gone in a meeting together um, and done this. And I'd heard rumors that this had happened. So I start to ask around. And a, a friend of mine who works for the ICC says, Jared, we can't even get them to agree on anything. Do you really think they all got together and decided to make their pitches more friendly? When they can't even, half the groundsmen won't even talk to them. And I was like, that's a fair point. Okay, so it's not pitches, right? Then there was obviously around 2014 to 2017, we start hearing about this wobble ball, right? So Muhammad Asif, uh, and now looks like Stuart Clark was bowling it as well. Jimmy Anderson sees both of them bowling it. He works how to do it. Because of the way the English cricket works, People and we have so many close-ups of Jimmy Anderson bowling, two things happen. County cricketers start to pick it up, but also the ECB start hosting events where they teach their bowls. The women players, uh, I think it was 2014 or 2015, the women players are all brought in. And Catherine Brunt and Kate Cross are shown how to bowl a wobble ball, right? That then starts to filter out and smart bowlers from around the world start picking up this delivery. Now, what the wobble ball does is it seems a little bit more than a normal delivery. And it seems in a way that doesn't give you any hints that it's about to do anything. And it can also seem in both directions. And something to do with the, the uh, rotation that you put on the delivery means that when it pings, it seems to go a little bit more violently. Um, a normal seam up delivery doesn't seem to do as much as a wobble ball. The other thing that happens in 2019 is that Kookaburra fixed the ball. So after years of us all moaning about Kookaburra ball, so this is an old Kookaburra ball that I have here. Um, and essentially they fix the seam. They make it stronger. They make it a little bit more pronounced um, and they put plastic underneath it so it stays stronger for longer. Basically to imitate the Duke's ball, which everyone had agreed at that stage was the best ball in the world, but was only being used by England and, and uh, West Indies. You've now got a bunch of guys who have worked out that they can bowl a delivery that basically keeps the seam in play longer. And at the exact same time, the manufacturer of cricketing balls, without telling anyone, has completely changed their product and fixed the seam for the first time ever. And Kookaburra seams used to be rubbish, right? All this information is out there. Suddenly everyone in the world, and, and we've already talked about the other, the other part of this, which is that bowlers started bowling fuller. And they also start bringing the stumps in more. So traditionally what you would do is you would bowl as close to the umpire as possible. You would pitch your ball just on or outside or stump. You would bowl out swing and you would swing it away. Go have a look at Kapil Dev clips, Richard Hadley clips. They did that all day, right? Now bowlers bowl wider on the crease. Have a look at Mohamed Siraj. He comes wide on the crease. Every ball he bowls is angling in at the stumps and he's trying to hit the top of off bail. If that ball hits the wobble seam and it comes back, it takes your leg stump out and you're a big chance of being LBW. If it straightens even slightly, you lose your off stump. And if it goes away, there's also a chance of getting an edge behind. So you are keeping LBW bold, caught behind, and caught in slips in play every single delivery 
in a way that we never were in previous cricket. We were either bowling too short or too wide beforehand. And the other thing is that swing bowling is still a great skill to have. And I think especially in T20 cricket, you're going to see anyone who can swing the ball both directions um, on purpose <laughs> in, in, in T20 cricket will have a very good career. But in test cricket, the problem with swing bowling has always been the same. A, we can't keep it going for as long as we would like to. And we can't tell you why some days it does it and some days it doesn't. And then the most important thing is that if you're a top level batter, the ball starts to swing almost immediately out of the hand. You can see it start to fade away. And it may, may not go that much until late, but it usually swings before it bounces. The wobble ball doesn't move until after it bounces. And there is no sign that you can read that is telling you if it's going to go right, it's going to go straight, or it's going to go left, right? That is a huge advantage. And it seems to be that for whatever reason, the wobble ball has lasted longer. So what you would do beforehand is you'd bowl seam bowling and swing bowling up front. You'd then purposely rough the ball up so that you could try and get reverse. Now, teams try and keep that ball as nice as possible for as long as possible. Um, and that, that stronger seam of the kookaburra helps so much that you get more lateral movement. And now that you're attacking the stumps every ball and the outside edge every ball, not just one or the other, it means that you're keeping yourself in the game in a, in a, in a huge way. And we've seen the drop. Now, you talk about the DRS changing batters' techniques. Well, that's what we're already starting to see with wobble ball. So you're seeing England coming down the crease and trying to make sure that they can get to the ball um, at, at a fuller length. Uh, you're seeing other players. You see a lot of players now drive really straight to mid on because when the wobble ball first came about, because the, bat, the batter would see the ball being angled into them and they'd flick across the line because that's what they've been doing their whole life. Well, you can't flick across the line to the wobble ball because either you're going to lose your off stump if it moves away or it's going to be LBW every time you miss it. So what they've started doing is hitting a lot straighter. And so there's been a slight bump for seam bowlers uh, against seam bowlers just recently, but it's still not the numbers that we were used to in, you know, in from 2000 to 2016, although those were obscene. But even so, the numbers are still less than that. So bowlers are still, I, I would say anytime when the bowling average is under 32 in the year, the bowlers are on top. And I think uh, last year it was certainly still under 32. I think it was back to about 30 last year, which, but it had been down in the low, tw it had been in the 20s, high 20s. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. as you said, runs just disappeared. It was incredible some of those years. I think it was 2018 or 2019. Literally, people were just getting dismissed every time they walked to the crease. And no one, and everyone was going, oh, modern batting's disappeared. And I was just like, well, these things don't happen by accident. <laughs> Yeah, and and honestly, I I do think this experiment that England is carrying on because that was going to be my last segment with you, and I had thought of it that the bowlers adjusted to batting realities, and the bowlers came up with new tricks. I mean, that this is how evolution works, right? Exactly. You, you look at your environment, and evolution happens at a gradual pace. It's always gradualism. There is no, there is no, and one fine day, it's just at you on your face and then you have this last five-year record that oh my god bat batters just don't bat like that well the bowlers have become better now do you think in the next decade we will see a comeback uh the, the batters will be back with avengers like you said baseball could be one of those things they'll start playing reverse paddles like joe root was the, the same joe root I, I i'm like what happened to joe root he's playing reverse paddles in the test match in new zealand he doesn't care and this was the same joe root making a magnificent double hundred in the test match in india he was just playing straight everything was straight and it doesn't matter and then suddenly things have changed so do you see maybe the next 10 to 15 years we will see the batters back with a vengeance they'll adjust to this new technique and the, because rohit sharma has shown now that even when pitches turn you can score hundreds. And I think Rohit Sharma has pretty much set the copybook uh, for how to bat in India on these pitches. Yeah, I think, I mean, there should, it shouldn't, there's no real time in history since, since the pitches got good. So since about 1900, there's real, really been no time in cricket history when the bowls have been this dominant for this long, right? Uh, it, you, you get little dip years. And the 1950s is an interesting one because no one ever scored in the 1950s. Um, like literally, when I say no one scored, like the runs per over almost was zero. Um, and so we don't know if the balls were on top or if batters just all stopped scoring at the same time because they were trying to defend too much. It, it's a really interesting um, uh, period to have a look at. But generally what happens is you get a couple of years. I think there was a real dip around late 70s to early 80s. 
which we know is the emergence of the West Indies, people bowling back of length and short pitch bowling, more reverse swing coming through in Pakistan. And also some of the best cricketers in the world were not available uh, because of Packer. So maybe the standard had dropped. We know that again, the average drops in the 90s where new ball bowling was probably at its absolute best. And then you do have, you know, uh, three um, world-class spinners um, bouncing around um, as well. So that does feel like another bowling era, but this is a much tougher bowling era than that was. So if, you, if you're an old person thinking that it was tough then, it's it's been tougher to score runs this era. I would assume there is, and it looks like the trend is going back up, back in favour of batters. Um, I don't know what baseball does that to that, right? Because the, the thing with baseball is, it's a bit like the West Indies and Australia. So when the West Indies come along, people start picking, spinners disappear in the 80s, right? It's so like even, every, everywhere outside of Pakistan and um, India basically give up on spin and Sri Lanka just making their way in. But the other countries, all the other Western countries are like, oh, spins out. Now we just need pace bowlers, right? And no one else becomes West Indies because what the West Indies had was eight, nine, ten world-class quality seam bowlers available who could bowl genuinely fast. No one else had that. You look at Australia in in the in the you know ninety-five to two thousand and eight or whenever uh, their their era sort of ends. You've got two great bowlers who are the best attacking bowlers in the world and the best defensive bowlers in the world at one time. And then you have a number seven um, who can come in and score 100 off 100 balls. That not Every team tried to copy the Gilchrist method, forgetting that Gilchrist works because that Australia only need to make 320 and they're still going to be able to defend it. Whereas everyone else set up out their wicketkeepers to fail, right? Um, and, and it doesn't work in that way because you don't have Warner McGrath. You don't have someone who can control the new and the old ball all the way through in innings. And we saw teams try leg spinners and we saw, saw teams try tall, fast bowlers like McGrath and, and we saw them try Gilchrist. No one could replicate what Australia did. If you look at baseball, I, and I, it, it's not successful on the West Indies or the, or the Australian level, and it may not be successful over a long period of time. I think a lot of things have gone in favour of them over the last 10 tests. Plus, Brendan McCullum's making them all feel great. What happens when they lose three tests in a row and everyone's out playing that those sorts of shots that you talked about with Joe Root, right? Things change pretty quickly when that happens. What I would say, though, is there's no other team in the world that has the quality of white ball batting that England has, right? Their, their white ball batting is absolutely phenomenal and deep. And they have players, you know, we, we talk about the Roy and the Bairstow and the Hales sort of at the top. And then we talk about Butler down the end and Moen Ali slogging. We forget that they also have Dawood Milan, Joe Root and Owen Morgan, who have the ability to score big runs at a runner ball, right? And, and now we see Harry Brook looks like another guy who will be able to do that as well, um, which means that their ability to attack safely is something we have never seen in cricket. They are the first team ever to score at more than a runner ball in one day cricket. And no one has got to that. No one has caught up to them yet. They're still, you know, whatever it is, almost half a run more than anyone else. Um, and the second thing is that they have a depth of, you know, maybe maybe India could do it with a couple of players, right? Um, but then if they got a couple of injuries, they'd then be throwing in a bunch of kids hoping that they would that they would be okay. Whereas in England's case, they probably have another but 27-year-olds, 28-year-olds, you know, Phil Salt type players who could come in and try that, you know. And so I think that. When we say other teams have the ability to copy this, I just don't think that that is um, a realistic, um, what's the best way of putting it? I don't think it's a realistic template at the moment for other teams, right? Now, if they do it for five years and it's so successful, teams will try it anyway. Because teams tried to copy Australia, right? Teams tried to score at four runs and over. You know, they tried leg spin. They tried all the different things that Australia did. But no one mastered that. And so I don't think that baseball will have too much of an effect on global cricket in the next five years, unless what they are actually doing is just ahead of the curve and that everyone is going to um, start just um, playing like it's white ball cricket. Because the other thing is, we go back to my wobble ball thing of before. The one thing with the wobble ball is, the wobble ball is really good in T20 cricket and, and one day cricket, but it only lasts for four or six overs because the white ball's crap and because people are hitting it everywhere. 
the red ball stays better because it doesn't get blasted everywhere. Whereas England are blasting the red ball everywhere, which means it is more damaged. So you can't get as much lateral movement. That's a good strategy. Other teams could replicate that if they can survive long enough and if their team is backed. Um, so it's a really, really interesting thing. The one thing I would say is that Australia probably changed cricket in that cricket gets more professional. And the West Indies changed cricket in that bowlers start bowling back of a length and became seam bowlers when beforehand they'd been swing bowlers. So even when you can't replicate what those other teams do, they generally still change things. You know, you you, you watch, you know, um, Golden State Warriors or Houston Rockets in the NBA, right? You know, Houston Rockets had as much of an impact on basketball as Golden State did. But Golden State winning it was really the thing that changed everyone to think that the three-pointer was worth backing. Before then, until Golden State won, everyone went, why are they doing three-pointers? And it's a bit the same with England. Even when they won those first couple of tests, everyone's like, what are they doing? This isn't going to last. If they can make it last for a long period of time, I think it will have an impact on cricket. But what that will be, I don't know. But the other side of what you're saying is, what if everyone copies it, but without the same players that England have? We could have another drop in averages because you've got a lot of guys who will come out. People will be picking T20 players left, right, and center going, just go out there and you know bash them like you do in T20 cricket, and they'll just all get bowled for nothing, right? Because they don't have, and I think the main skill that the England players have is the ability to score consistently and fast, but by taking educated risks based on what, what the kind of bowler, the kind of field, uh, you know, what, what the pitch condition is doing. They're very, very clever. It's not, they're not going out there and slogging. And that's why they are the first team to score it over a runner ball for an entire one day. Sri Lanka tried to slog at the start, right? And then they would pull it back and they would bat a little bit defensively and then slog again at the end. England is not doing that. England's method is a lot more methodical. But you, you, the, in order to do that, you need world-class players who are already the best players in the world in white ball cricket. I'm not sure there are that many other teams that can do it. India could probably do it. But the first time India gets bowled out for 50 playing attacking, uh, I already know what social media is going to do to those players. And so they may never do it. I mean, India, Indian white ball players can't even attack. They're not allowed to attack in World Cups. How on earth would they allow their test players to do it? So... That's India is the only other country that at the moment has the batting talent to be able to do that. So even New Zealand, who were the best batting team in the world, like if you look at who their batters were, you know, Williamson, Watling, uh, Ross Taylor, they're not going to play baseball. <laughs> Tom Latham. Tom Latham's not going to play baseball. <laughs> He's just going to block. That's what he does. That's what he was born to do. Um, you know, and even if you look at their modern players, only really uh, Daryl Mitchell is probably the only guy in that side who can be yeah. a little bit more attacking. And if you have a look at him, he hasn't got the strike rate of some of the England players, but he does come down the wicket when he's playing in test matches. That's a new thing. Mm. That was when we grew up, no one was doing that, you know. Um, and the other thing he does is um, he's willing to go down the ground in the air off seam bowlers. Again, mm. you, you had the old player who would do that occasionally. You know, Chris Streetcount would do it. You know, Keith Stackpole, obviously from the Sawag. But it, now you're watching it. If if Darren Mitchell can do that, we might see more players take some of their white ball skills into red ball cricket. But I'm not sure we will see another baseball team just because the baseball team is so unique in itself. Yeah, I, uh, it could be. It could be the aberration. But uh, the way in which uh, international cricket players are struggling to make runs, I think mm. we're going to... We, we will have to see some innovations very soon. Otherwise... Uh, it, uh, it's not going to end well for most teams. And I see it around the corner. I don't know why uh, uh, people are negative about it. I think in the next three to five, four years, their coaches are going to figure something out. They're going to drill these things in the nets. And uh, maybe some of these shots will be first experimented at the domestic level. And then maybe mm -hmm. they, they will they will get that. But, well... Uh, you say negative it, about it. I would say the last six years of Test Cricket have been the most entertaining in my lifetime. Oh, right. yeah, I agree. I love it. I'd say mid-90s was really great as well. Um, mm -hmm. But 2000 to 2015, you had no idea if the pitch was going to even help the bowlers, right? It, it, so many of those games were just really grinding games. And we saw some great cricket and obviously some great batting and some brilliant bowling performances. And, you know, it makes Dale Stane look even better. Imagine what Dale Stane... You talked about what Kumble and Morna Murali would do in modern cricket. What would Dale Stane have done? Because he bowled fuller. Right, he would have yeah. got even more. This, you know, that wobble ball. If he would have, if he would have bowled the wobble ball, I'm not sure how you play him. 
um, you know, at his pace, moving the ball both mm. directions. So, um, yeah, no, I honestly, you know, I, I think there was some great cricket played before, but this is a much better generation. And if this, if this generation then goes into basketball, right, and we have players innovating and trying new things, the next generation will be really interesting as well. So I think it's a, I think it's a great, fascinating time for Test cricket, um, and, and it needs it because. You know, it was dull, and T20 cricket did overlook it. I think if you're a T20 fan now, and you and you like cricket, it'd be hard not to be entertained by some of the test matches we've seen of recent times. It'd be hard not to be entertained by the way that, you know, um, uh, India are playing their cricket, and by the way that Australia have been playing their cricket up until this series, and the way that um, England have been playing their cricket, right? The West Indies taking loads of wickets. South Africa going in with five bowlers and no batters in their entire lineup, right? There's some really funky ideas that teams have been going with um and i think that's great and i think we'll only see more of it uh, i think i think basball's real impact will be that teams will free themselves up of what they think test cricket is right and that goes back to golden state warriors and you know goes back to you know different football styles we've seen in football before you know that the netherlands never won with total football but they probably changed the way that people thought about football right and basball has an, a chance to be able to do that because it's it's a free format of cricket. That's the great thing about that style. It's not that they're attacking. It's that they're like, what works for us? Let's do that. And, and if that's the case, suddenly look around the world, you know, we might see funky lineups where teams go into test matches with like eight batters and, and four of their batters might be part-time bowlers, but they all use them in different parts of the games. And all, all the, uh, the, the old split wicketkeeper thing of we've got two wicketkeepers in our side. This guy's going to um, keep in the first innings when the seam bowlers are out, and this guy's going to keep at the end when the spin bowlers are out, all those sorts of things. Yeah, it's a good, it's a fantastic time, and it, it's only good for Test cricket because I I don't watch T Twenty cricket. I'm an old dinosaur. I I just didn't get to watching T Twenty cricket. I never enjoyed it. I barely watched. I just watched two seasons of the IPL, two thousand seven or eight, whenever that was the first and the second season, and I never watched the IPL. I don't watch international T Twenty cricket either, but I I still enjoy the fifty over and the red ball game, and uh, you know it's 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 fun. I enjoy Test cricket. It's so challenging. Uh, it's it's fun to see these batsmen. I mean, to me, Rohit Sharma's 100 in Chennai in that spinning track and the 100 he made against Australia now in the first test match. These are the kinds of things you 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 live to watch. You know, you want to see this level of batsmanship. And and I think it's all fun. But, uh, but Jared, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Before we go, could you tell everybody a little bit about your you know, wherever they can find you so that, uh, you know, I'll be adding all those things in the description, but if you could also talk about it. If you add all of my links and where you can find me, uh, you'll be there forever. But uh, look, I'm basically wherever you find social media. Uh, if you search Jared Kimber, uh, you should be able to find me there uh, fairly easy. Uh, I've got my own YouTube channel, uh, which is again, under my own name. I do a bunch of podcasts as well, Red Inca podcast and the Double Century podcast, which is about the history of cricket. So if you like some of this chat, um, that's the sort of stuff that we cover quite a bit over at Double Century, plus some of the more romantic um, sides of cricket. We just did uh, the the people who bought cricket was our last season about uh, you know everyone from Lalit Modi down to Charles Lennox, the man who basically invented county cricket because he wanted Sussex players to uh, win games of uh, cricket for him. Um, so uh, yeah, you know I can find everywhere, and uh, you, you show my Substack at the start. So if you like writing, go over to my Substack, and if you like YouTube, um, go uh, go to my YouTube page. And um, but yeah, follow me on social media. I'm constantly everywhere. I'm omnipresent. Awesome, awesome, Jared. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and uh, hopefully next time you're in Mumbai, dinner's on me. Done. All right, guys, we'll wrap today's discussion up. Uh, like I said, in the description of the podcast, I'll leave Jared's Twitter handle and uh, the Substack and the YouTube. Go and follow. By the way, I'm a Patreon supporter of Jared. So if you want, you can also you. support him on Patreon. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, you know the drill. Subscribe to the channel, like the video. You can also become a supporter of the Charvuk podcast on Patreon, YouTube, wherever you guys go. I'll see you guys next time. Until then, namaste. Take care. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.